which is awesome. Um, I figured I'd go ahead and abandon the uh, worship leader skinny jeans for something a little more loose-fitting <laughs> and uh, the more loose-fitting preacher pan. I think it looks pretty good. So um, I even tucked in my shirt, so I think the Lord is pleased with us this morning. Um, it's, uh, it's great to be with you here today. Um, I feel uh, blessed to be uh, led in worship by Sean and the worship team. Um, it was uh, really special for me in the first service um, to actually stand with my wife, um, which doesn't happen often, and worship with her. And so um, that was really special. Um, it's an immense privilege to stand here uh, every single week and lead you in worship. I think corporate worship is one of the greatest gifts God has given to the church. And I believe that when we sing in faith, we are pushing back the forces of darkness and evil. I believe that uh, one of the greatest weapons against the enemy of this world is the worship of the one who has overcome it. And sometimes I wonder what it would be like to be a, like a traveling worship leader. You know, maybe like I started a band and we came up with a really cool name and got a van and traveled the countryside and played at conferences and camps. And there's a lot of people that do that, and I'm thankful for them. But nothing could take the place of leading worship here at Faith with my family. You guys are my family. This church for Amy and I is our home and we are so blessed to be a part of your lives and we feel honored that you would let us be a part of your lives. Well, this uh, past six months or so um, in my daily just reading time in the Word, I've been reading through the Gospels and something that Um, has caught my attention is how often we find people sitting at the feet of Jesus. Sometimes they are there in desperation. They need something from Jesus. You know, they're absolutely desperate for him to make some kind of wrong in their life right, which Jesus often does. And other times they come with reverence and humility and worship. And this morning, we are going to talk about what it means to live a lifestyle of lingering at the feet of Jesus, a lifestyle of lingering at the feet of Jesus. And we don't have time today to examine every account in the Gospels, but I do want to focus on one particular person that is found at the feet of Jesus every single time that she's mentioned, Mary of Bethany. Mary was a close friend of Jesus, and she understood the virtuous lifestyle of sitting at his feet. Today, we're going to consider three accounts of Mary at Jesus' feet, and each time, Mary's posture illustrates an important aspect uh, for lingering at Jesus' feet. So we're going to begin this morning in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Luke 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Well, this is classic sibling strife. Martha, being the good host that she is, is busy in the kitchen preparing food for Jesus and his disciples. 
Um, And hospitality, after all, was something that Jesus valued and often taught about. In the passage right before this one, Jesus taught about a Samaritan of all people who showed the utmost care and love for someone who needed it, someone that he didn't even know. And so we might assume from this that Jesus will commend Martha and rebuke Mary. Uh, Perhaps he would say something along the lines of, Martha, you're so right. How silly of me to be sitting here with your sister talking to her when she should be in the kitchen helping prepare food for me. But Jesus doesn't say that. And to our surprise, his, his answer is much different. He says this in verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Do you see how gentle Jesus is with Martha? Jesus notices her anxiety in the kitchen. He knows her worry and her concern for all of the food preparations. Now, he doesn't say that these things don't matter. After all, someone does need to prepare food for the guests. Indeed, that's a noble task. But these many things were not bad in themselves. But Jesus notices something deeper in Martha. He notices a frantic heart. What Martha did not understand was that the better portion was sitting at her dining room table just a few feet away. Now this begs the question, what does Jesus mean by the better portion? In appearance, there wasn't much that differentiated Jesus from other house guests Martha would have had. His robe was probably just as sweaty and dirty from his travels and his disciples. He was probably hungry and weary from his travels, and so refreshments were appropriate. Yet, Jesus was no ordinary house guest. This was the Savior of the world, the bread of life. In John 6, 48, Jesus addresses the surrounding crowd with these words. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This, referring to his body, is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Martha is in the kitchen preparing food that would eventually leave one hungry again. In saying that Mary has chosen the good portion which won't be taken away from her, Jesus is referring to the life-giving food that only he can provide. Jesus is the good portion. Now there's time for food preparation. There's a time to clean. These things are necessary and important. However, they should never be substitutes for lingering at the feet of Jesus. Mary chose the good portion. And this brings us to our first point, that lingering at Jesus's feet means soaking in the words of Jesus. Mary was enthralled with the words of Jesus. For Mary, there was nothing better to occupy her time than to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn from him. It is almost as if she is hanging on his every single word. Now, I understand Martha. I love Martha, and so did Jesus. I relate to her in so many ways. 
I'm really good at doing things for God. When I see needs, I'll usually meet them. And when there's a job to be done, I'll typically do it. But what if in my busy hurrying, I'm actually avoiding him? What if in justifying my busy mind by telling myself that I'm working heartily unto the Lord, I'm actually hiding from the one that my soul loves? You see, lingering at Jesus' feet, it requires unhurried time. I love the word lingering. Its definition is to stay in a place longer than necessary, typically because of a reluctance to leave. How are you at lingering in God's presence? Are you like Martha, constantly busy getting things done? Or are you like Mary, completely content and just being with him. Lingering takes time. It requires us to be still in his presence. There may be places to go and things to do, but in lingering, we are saying that those things, though important, they can wait. I know that Jesus is what my soul really needs right now. So what does it look like for you to linger at the feet of Jesus? What will it require of you? Be honest. What in your life needs to change to allow for unhurried time with God in which you are reluctant to leave? We now turn to John chapter 11, the second account, in which John tells a story that gives us insight into a lifestyle of lingering at Jesus' feet, especially in our disappointments. Lazarus, Martha and Mary's brother, is sick. Now, Jesus loves Lazarus, but upon hearing about his illness, Jesus remains where he, go, where he is, and he doesn't go immediately to see Lazarus. Now, this is a curious thing, for we've already seen by this time Jesus perform many amazing miracles where he healed the sick and he restored the lame. So when Martha and Mary send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, surely they believed he would come immediately and save the day. But Jesus does not come, immediately at least. He stays for four days where he is. Eventually he does go down to Bethany where Martha and Mary are and finds out that Lazarus has already been dead for quite some time. Now can you imagine what Martha and Mary felt? He healed so many people before. Why would he not come and heal their brother? Did Jesus not care for their family? Didn't he love their brother? Surely they were confident of this, but why did he not save Lazarus? We pick up the story in verse 20. This is John chapter 11, verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. 
Now, it's difficult not to admire Martha's faith. Even in her pain, she still believed that Jesus was in charge. And now enters Mary into the story. Verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now when Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him, and when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And Mary, we see something unique in how she approaches Jesus. Mary ran full speed out of the house. I can almost imagine Mary like knocking over tables and chairs and other furniture items in her haste to see Jesus. And when Mary sees Jesus, she falls at his feet. Her words are the same as her sister Martha. I mean, after all, neither Mary nor Martha were blaming Jesus for Lazarus' death, but simply stating what they considered to be a fact, that if Jesus had been there, their brother Lazarus wouldn't have died. But she stops there. She doesn't continue on as Martha had. She waits, bowed down, humbled, with only the feet of Jesus visible beneath her tears. Jesus' response to Martha and Mary is fascinating to me. Whereas Martha received a sermon from Jesus, Mary was shown emotion. Jesus wept. Here we find Mary once again at the feet of her beloved Jesus. These were the feet of one in whom she had put all of her hope. Yet at this moment, he had not come through for her in the way that she believed he would. Mary was disappointed. She was heartbroken. She was crushed. Yet, and this is crucial for us to understand, She remains at the feet of Jesus, nevertheless. She does not hide. She doesn't run away. Upon hearing that Jesus is near, she runs as fast as she can, and she falls at his feet, completely vulnerable and exposed. She doesn't provide a quick answer. There's no nicely packaged theological assurance here. She simply comes, and she lays at his feet. Once again, I believe that we can learn from Mary here. That lingering means waiting in his presence, even in our disappointments. In our disappointments, we can choose several paths. The pain, sometimes we hide. The pain is simply too much that we cannot bear it. We run away. Or we can shove it down into a deep place into our being and hoping that it never comes up. We think... It's easier that way. And sometimes we hurt ourselves. But Mary shows us a better way. Mary did not know what would come of the situation. I mean, at that moment, Mary had no idea 
that moments later, Jesus would raise her brother from the grave. She didn't know that. Yet, she remained there. She, this was all unknown to her, and she ran to Jesus as though her life depended on it. And this year, it's highly likely that you and I, we're going to experience some kind of disappointment, big or small. It's not something to be feared, but just the reality of living in our fallen world. The question for us is this, when these disappointments come, to where will you run? To whom will you go? What will you do with your pain? Will you hide? Will you shove the hurt deep down so as not to feel it? Or will you, like Mary, make the bold and courageous decision to linger at the feet of Jesus and wait? God may provide an answer. He might not. But what if that's not the point? What if lingering in his presence is enough? Resting in him, trusting in him. For you, is he worth waiting for? I'd like to examine one more story. One that happens after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And we don't know how long after, but once again, Jesus is in Martha's home, and Martha is preparing food for Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is reclining at the table with his friend Lazarus, and we read in John 12, verse 1. This was what happens. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the, his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. What Mary does here. It challenges me to the core. Mary is being completely vulnerable in this moment. She is laying it all out there. Not only is what she's doing considered wasteful, but embarrassing. I mean, who takes perfume and pours it on a man's head while he's at dinner and wipes his feet with her hair? And keep in mind that Jesus, though he is fully God, is also fully human. And so his feet were probably gross. <laughs> but Mary saw something totally different. To Mary, Jesus' feet were beautiful. And not only this, but to be at his feet was the most joyful place for her. Once again, we find Mary ling lingering at the feet of her precious Jesus recklessly abandoned in her love and devotion to her Savior and Redeemer. 
For Mary, nothing else mattered. What people thought of her was of no concern. She did not care if people judged her for acting so foolishly. She loved Jesus. He was worth looking like a fool for. He was worth losing repute and her tarnishing her reputation. Just that she may sit at his feet. And this brings us to our last point. That lingering at Jesus' feet means vulnerability of our worship in him. So what, kind of, what does this kind of worship and devotion mean for us? Are we willing to look like fools for the sake of expressing our love for our Savior? When you come into this room on Sunday mornings to worship, are you more concerned with what the person behind you thinks of you or worshiping the Lord? Are you more concerned with the sound of your voice? Or are you willing to sing to the Lord Because you know to him, it doesn't matter. Your voice is beautiful to him. Don't rob him of your worship because you can't sing. He's worthy of your affections. Jesus saw Mary's worship and commended her. And it's here that I'd like you and I to wrestle with a question. What would Jesus say of our worship? Of your worship? Of my worship? When preparing for this sermon, I asked myself the question, why did this topic come to my mind? I mean, why do an entire sermon about feet? Um, when I read the Gospels, I, when I read these accounts of people sitting at his feet, why did every single time just leap off the page to me? And I believe that God was really clearly trying to say to me, Logan, pay attention to this. I want you to learn what it means to linger at my feet. I believe God put this sermon on my heart because he knew that I needed it. He knew that I needed it. He wants me to learn to linger in his presence. Lingering in his presence, it takes time. It requires me to occasionally set aside very good things for something far better, the better portion It requires that I run to God in my disappointments rather than hide. It requires exposure in my devotion. In my love for God, will I choose to remain composed and put together because that's the mature thing to do? Or will I throw myself down at his feet because he is absolutely and unequivocally worthy of everything that I have to give to him? Even at the cost of my reputation. So will you join me in learning what it means to linger at the feet of the Savior? Will you pursue with me the joyful and virtuous life of lingering in his presence? Today, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, I'm reminded of Calvary and those who witnessed Jesus' crucifixion. In Mark chapter 15, verse 40, we read this. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger and Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him.
to Jerusalem. While we don't know for certain, it's highly likely that Mary of Bethany was amongst this group of women who witnessed Jesus's humiliation. Can you imagine what these women felt as they saw their beloved Jesus hanging on a Roman cross? They loved this man. They adored him and they were told that they even ministered to him during his ministry. And Mary, who weeks prior had washed Jesus' feet with her hair, was likely now sitting at those same feet, staring at them, covered in sweat and blood, pierced by a nail. It's at this place that I'd like for us to linger as we take the bread and the cup. Let us linger at the foot of the cross, where the precious feet of Jesus are pierced and bloody. This is our salvation, our justification, our redemption. I'd like those who 